Hello and welcome to another episode of Rebel City Podcast. This will be episode 112. Um, this week, after the back of one of the shots that we did um, in the last couple of weeks, which Matt really put together about gaming, we've got Joe Donnelly. How's it going, Joe? Not bad. How are you? Hi, great, mate. It's nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in. Struggling with this weather. I'm not going to lie. So you try to get fucking sleep. Like, absolutely <laughs> brutal. Like me and Matt were saying when we came in. Bayface were like, oh man, fried. Oh no. That's fucking It's actually cold weather. today at 15 degrees or something. <laughs> I know. It's bizarre. Uh, I would never ever complain about the sunshine, but definitely yeah. at night when you're trying to sleep, it's an absolute nightmare. But yeah. um, I, it's, a, it's a pleasure to meet you, mate. Um, we were just chatting there off mic that you're, you know, a, a Celtic biographer. Um, must be an interesting job for you, especially right now with the, you know, seems to be that half the fans are raging at the club and other fans are starting to get excited about like the future. But yeah, yeah. Um, no, I work for the club. Um, the obviously a disappointing season for Celtic standards last year, but yeah. um, plenty of excitement just now. Obviously, get the new the new manager in the building. I, um, I like I like what I mean. I've been in both camps over the course of the summer where I've been both unhappy and excited. Um, but I, I liked what he had to say for himself in the, the press conferences. And if he can deliver off of what he thinks he's capable, I think we're in for. Yeah. I think he said himself, a good, you know, you'll a be good judged, couple of years. Judged on the pitch, which is a great attitude to begin in with, ah, because yeah. that's what it is. I mean, we're at a point just now where um, it's exciting, and obviously there's, you know, a lot to come. And Definitely. And welcome, so. Mm. Um, so, I, as Paul was saying, we, we obviously had recently spoke sort of briefly about gaming, just because, um, as I was saying to you off mic, like, I, I read a, an article. Um, sort of turn of the year and it was describing you know how um people had started to find benefits to gaming in terms of managing their mental health and i had a bit of a kind of like real moment of realization where through the pandemic i kind of was like oh shit that's like without meaning to, yeah i've kind of been managing myself through sort of gaming and when we were talking it was it was quite unusual to see uh gaming framed in you know a, a more positive light than would normally be the case a lot of what you get is it's, you know, uber violence and, you know, moral panic and, you know, it's been the case since, you know, we go back to like Wolfenstein and Doom where people are like, oh my God, this is like super violent. And then when you look at them now and where games have went, it's, you know, really, really tame a lot of the time. And um, so it was quite nice to see this, and because it is a like multi-billion pound industry worldwide, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, so it's, we consume the content in the same way that we do movies now, I think, in a lot of senses. And it's certainly part of what I enjoy about gaming is the, the sort of narratives. Um, you wrote a checkpoint yep. on sort of your own experiences with yeah. gaming aye. and sort of mental health. Aye, so um, I suppose it makes sense to kind of tell my story. Um, right. So and I, um, I've always played video games my entire life. The, the first game, which I can attribute to... Um, the first which I picked up was Lemons on the Atari yes. ST, <laughs> right. um, made by DMA Design, a developer based in Dundee, who later moved to Edinburgh and um, renamed themselves as Rockstar North, yep. which people all know as the, the Grand Theft Auto um, developers. I have always played video games um, all through my school years as a means of kind of, I mean, sort of what you touched upon there in terms of what people have been doing in the pandemic, escapism. Again, at school, not really from anything too harsh, you know, just mm -hmm. even just fed up with school and wanted to spend a bit of time um, in different worlds from, from my own. Um, in 2008, I was, when I left school, I became a plumber and gas fitter, so that's what I was doing full time in 2008. My uncle sadly took his own life. And at the time when I was feeling a lot of stress, you know, reality was 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 in the, um, was in the best place at that point for my yeah. family and myself. I used games as a means of escapism. I really stepped that up. I was mm -hmm. throwing myself into the games which I enjoyed at the time. Uh, and yeah, I mean, obviously, kind of going through the grieving process and stuff, but it was great to be able to switch off and just run into Bioshock and fight some of the baddies there yeah. for a few mm -hmm. hours and just kind of lose myself. And in 2009... A year after my uncle passed, my girlfriend and I went to Australia for a couple of years and did the kind of backpacking thing and, and settled in Melbourne and did a bit of, of work there. 
And then when I was away, I decided that I wanted to leave behind plumbing and labour and stuff like that and, and pursue a career change. I'd always quite enjoyed writing. So I started studying journalism. And when I was studying, um, I started to kind of fold in my interest with video games. I'd always read the magazines when I was younger. Yep. Um, and then started pursuing some work. Once I left university, um, I was writing kind of full-time freelance and trying to fold in um, games which were tackling themes of mental health, which I discovered along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you kind of mentioned about the kind of tabloid press about how video games can make you violent or when people think about video games, they maybe think of Grand Theft Auto, Call of Duty, Fortnite, FIFA. Yeah. Um, I discovered this whole array of kind of indie games, which was tackling themes of suicide, depression, OCD, autism, all this wide spectrum of kind of interpersonal themes, which... Um, I didn't realise existed myself and I knew that a lot of people didn't um, from the outside looking in and I found that when I was trying to understand uh, the depression anxiety which I started to get in the, in the, the wake of Uncle's suicide before I spoke to a doctor um, because as we know in West of Scotland particularly up in yeah. the country all over the world men aren't very good at that but particularly here in, in Glasgow um, I was discovering games that were actually specifically about suicide or depression okay. um, and they were making me think about what I had in my head that I wasn't necessarily able to articulate. Um, and I think the key thing for me was that I knew what depression was because everybody, I mean, there's a lot more of a conversation now, which is great, there's still a, a mm-hmm. long ways to go. Aye. But I'd heard about it, um, clearly I'd understood that my uncle would have had it in some form, but hearing about it and understanding what you're feeling were two different things and I hadn't really realised that. Mm-hmm. So these games helped me. Um, can I understand what was happening? I was able to seek professional help, go on medication, get a diagnosis of depression and anxiety disorder. Um, and again, when I was writing about video games, I was trying to write about these games when I could. I had a column with Vice on video games and mental health. Yep. Um, and then at one point they restructured financially. Um, I moved away from video games journalism, as I say, working in football journalism now, and always felt I had more to say. Mm-hmm. And in 2019, um, I approached 404 Inc, an independent publisher and based in Edinburgh, who are brilliant. Um, anyone who's heard of yep. Chris McQueer? Um, uh, we've had Chris McQueer on the podcast mm-hmm. before. He, um, he's had a couple of books with, with them as well. And it was actually him, in, in many ways, that inspired me to approach 404 because the kind of people that they represent, kind of maybe working class or, or, or um, underrepresented yeah. voices, um, they do a really good job with them. And I approached them with the idea of Checkpoint, which was essentially what I'd been doing, writing about games and mental health, but we more to say, um, and as we said um, before we started recording, I spoke to a wider array um, of professionals, of video game players, of enthusiasts, of mental health professionals, um, and kind of fed in my own narrative in terms of mm-hmm. you know the kind of personal lived experience with suicide that I had. Um, and the response has been really good. It's been, I've had a lot of kind of private messages, emails, um, invitations for people like yourself to, to come on and, and kind of chat about it. And it's even one of the stories which I always tell in terms of going back to the kind of the reservation about sharing your feelings which we have in Glasgow is that when I started writing about games and mental health I had some of my pals um, kind of message me on WhatsApp or private on Twitter or whatever and saying oh I read this article you wrote about Gareth Theft Auto and, and mental health and how you know he helped you with a certain part of getting over your uncle kind of thing I've actually been taking medication for the like last six months and these are boys that have been playing football way every Wednesday or in the mm-hmm, pub every yep. Saturday and they never cracked a light now in an ideal world, we'd be able to have the conversation face-to-face. We could yeah. have it in the pub or a pint. We're maybe not there yet in terms of my group and as maybe as a society as well. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they felt able to private message me, I think is a great step in, in the right direction. I think and that's a really common thing we experience with, not just yeah. ourselves, but a lot of the people we speak to is that the point at which you start discussing this actually like encourages others to exactly, take part yeah. in that conversation. Yeah. And I think breaking down those stigmas, which are, <clears throat> I mean, I'm not saying it's exclusively fueled by the tabloids, but if you're always peddling the fact that, you know, there's a school shooting in America and the fact they played Call of Duty all day, yeah. I think, you know, they might have played Call of Duty all day, but I think if you think it's okay to pick up a gun and go to a school, there are other issues at play. <laughs> um, Definitely. You know, whatever whatever the motives are there, I'll never understand. But I don't think that video games. I mean, they might have played a part, but you know, I can't. I don't think you can blame it exclusively. No, on the absolutely video. not. Um, so that was the, that was the kind of my story and why I wrote Checkpoint. Um, and it was, I mean, it's, it's been a, it's been a great experience to still come and be able to talk about mental health through the lens of video games because so many people are playing video games nowadays. I mean, you mentioned about the pandemic. And um, at a time when, it sounding overly cheesy, but at a time when we couldn't explore the real world, here were all these worlds that yeah. you could explore for your couch. I think uh, that's exactly one of the things that, I mean, the Rockstar games traditionally have never been something that appealed to me. I've yeah. tried them over the years and 
there's I've always felt there's a, a wee bit too much going on in them, particularly in GTA and stuff like that, where you're driving cars while shooting and all sorts of. And I, I, it was just I was never very good at them, sort of thing. And I feel almost like I kind of graduated this year to like becoming a sort of proper gamer mm-hmm. um, and playing sort of Red Dead Redemption, um, and that is just a absolutely gigantic open world where there's so much and then that's exactly what i did when i when i kind of encountered that game was i just disappeared into this world and yeah. i mean i was obsessed for weeks when i was mm-hmm. i was pretty much like convincing myself that as a fucking cowboy in real <laughs> life you know what i mean like, <laughs> um but I, I i can definitely relate to what you're talking about there where you it's about going out and exploring these other worlds like i'm big on you know tomb raider and these yeah. types of things where you know you're actually rewarded for you know the exploration of the worlds that it actually gets involved in and there is a, a aye the escapism of that is actually really quite engr- sort of engrossing yeah you know yeah. what i mean mm-hmm. i think it's interesting over the course of the pandemic as well and speaking personally and i've spoken to a few people who have kind of felt similar at the very start when everything was closed off and people were doing the kind of zoom quizzes and their families and all the weird stuff which people were doing at the very beginning i was playing more games like um like i got animal crossing for the nintendo switch mm-hmm. i was playing gta online that's one which i really enjoy um dipping in out of minecraft from time to time and it's in these social spaces where all the rules have suddenly changed in the real world mm-hmm. but and, and this is this, this, this will be relevant to, to kind of younger um players as well who may have been used to have got two wins now so i'm spending a lot of time in the house anyway um even before all this but the rules have changed so much for Everybody, but maybe if you're if you're at school or you can't go and play football or whatever. Um, but the rules in these games and Fortnite and, and Minecraft and things like that, they stayed the same. You know, mm-hmm. like, so it was a very familiar world mm-hmm. for people, and it was comforting um, to be able to do that. As time went on, um, and as much as you know, I love my family, but you're kind of on top of each other over yeah, the last yeah. year. Watch what I'm saying. Um, but I found um, in the kind of last few months, probably this side of the year in lockdown, that I was diving into games which were single player because mm-hmm. I just wanted to be myself. Um, in that sense, you kind of touched upon and that there of achievement. I was playing games like Demon Souls and Dark Souls, which are for them that's not where kind of gothic fantasy rpg games yep. which are known for being really difficult um and uh-huh. the sense of achievement of me just playing against the computer and beating one of the bosses um you know spending hours at a time getting killed and killed and killed and eventually overcoming it just that kind of level of solitude that i was getting for a couple yep. of hours and um, so it's funny it went from you know wanting to jump into these online worlds to keep everything the same to just getting a wee corner to myself yeah uh, at a time when um i we were forced all these and we're not, i've never played the dark souls but i've um, I did spend quite a f- considerable period of time playing and replaying uh, Jedi Fallen Order, which Aye. I believe yeah. the game engine is sort of very similar, but there's a lot of sort of parry thrust, like sword fighting. And like, again, this is part of the graduation that I was talking about, where that's a level of complexity and like, and you know, intricacy on gaming that I was just never had the patience for. It was very much like point and shoot Call of Duty yeah. um, and that type of thing. So I, that level of achievement is something that, again, I can also relate to. Like, it's it's quite weird to you know have these realisations then and be like, oh, Christ, other people are having them as well. Yeah. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I, I had a different experience personally. Like, I, um, and first of all, like, I get really sort of scared about getting into Call of Duty during the pandemic because mm-hmm. I was thinking to myself, oh, like, these things cause like weird things to go on in your brain and you know like am i going to end up like really violent like you're saying and then you play it for a few weeks and you realize oh no that's just a whole load of shit really but <laughs> i would you know the sense of achievement like i'm terrible at call of duty uh, i don't know anybody that's actually any good at it by the way i don't, I don't believe that there's anybody that exists that's any good at it other than probably people on twitch or whatever yeah. but what i got for it really during the pandemic i get into it through a mate who's constantly playing it he gets home for work and he's on it and then all day weekends um was feeling like i had my mates there Aye. like I, I really like i wasn't thinking oh i really can't wait to go home and play cod or i can't wait to turn the playstation on to play cod i was it was the banter yeah. really and yeah. just like this sort of feeling that like you're saying like oh this is normal this is like hanging about with my mates and then i made actually made mates like Aye. these guys that from his work so it's like a group is now that sort of group chat and during the pandemic, I really got a feeling of sort of being part of something when everything was just sort of like, like you're saying, there was just nothing to feel part of. Yeah. So I don't think it just works on like one level for people. Like I think absolutely <clears throat> there'll be a sense of achievement and Definitely. You know, like dopamine, like when you're, you're playing like Animal Crossing and stuff. But I really felt like I was part of something and that I had friends and I could speak to people, do you know what I mean? And, and I mean, because there's so of much of, the kind of our social lives that were, that were compromised over the last year where, you know, you weren't able to. Um, 
and on a Friday night if the pubs are in the shut or whatever, people go, cinema, whatever. And if you're able to jump onto a server and get a game. Um, I think it's interesting, like, I wrote Checkpoint before the pandemic, it was supposed to be published in May and it got pushed back as a result till July. So in mm-hmm. that time, I wrote a wee um, kind of prelude chapter just explaining this and yeah. saying that um, at a time when, and of course I, everybody realised the significance by July by the time it came out, but I don't know that we knew it was going to last no, as long. And definitely not. I you know, hope that we're getting towards the, the, the end of the woods, <laughs> but you never know, it could end up getting backwards as well as we've seen. Um, but I think... Um, I think it's interesting because at the very start, I was doing a lot of kind of press things like this, just saying, you know, video games will offer this, you know, place where you can go and socialise with your pals or, you know, escapism or sense of achievement. But as times went on, and I do have a chapter in Checkpoint which discusses the potential for a video game addiction. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and year before last, the World Health Organisation acknowledged that gaming addiction is a thing. Yeah. Uh, and there's been a lot of pushback from experts who say, um, they've kind of it's been a snap judgment there's not enough research and evidence to suggest either way to mm-hmm. be fair um there are a lot of people who reckon they've been addicted to video games in the past things have suffered relationships maybe they've been at university and they've been failing or their work or whatever mm-hmm. um and it's interesting because when you when you combine the, the tabloids with somebody like the world health organization weighing in someone from the outside looking in would think oh shit video games are terrible again yeah uh, and i think it's a balance personally i think that um like anything video games should be enjoyed in moderation you know nothing course, should yeah. suffer and i know it's not that easy for some people i do i mean i've been asked before do i believe in video game addiction it's hard to say because it's not as obvious as alcoholism or drug addiction but yeah. I, I don't think it's fair to rule out any form of addiction especially in somewhere like glasgow where there is a lot of addiction in various forms mm-hmm. um but i think you need to be careful of how much you're playing video games and that feeds into whilst at the start of the pandemic i was saying people should be playing video games really ringing the bell for them I'm still doing that as a video game enthusiast, but after a year of change routines, like you're saying, maybe you're playing COD with your mates, which is great, but if some people had been followed the full time and they're playing all day, mm-hmm. those routines can become habit. And yeah. I think it is, it's, you need to be mindful of that. Um, and as people start to get reassimilated back into the workplace, maybe they're splitting remote time and they're also getting in. If you're at work, you know, like that needs to take priority over of your gaming habits and you need to be mindful. Yeah. Um, Do you know Bobby Lee? You ever heard of Bobby Lee? Yeah, yeah, the name. name so he's like an American comedian. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I don't know why this just came to my mind, but I was watching him on a podcast and he went and shot a movie. Mm-hmm. So he's got a massive podcast called Tiger Belly. Yeah. And in the studio in the background, he's gaming setups there. Mm-hmm. And they'll do ads at the end of the podcast and he's sitting playing. So as soon as they rap, Aye. he's like, COD. Aye. And what he said was, is when he took the PlayStation into the, the hotel room, mm-hmm. he was like, it just wasn't the same. Aye. And it was like the setting's different, so then he was like, this is different, mm-hmm. and it was sort of broke, He's and he's like, like, I've went back to playing Minecraft, uh, he's like, I've uh, stopped playing COD, yeah. and I think when he said that, I was like, he must have been addicted to that, because it's more about the routine yep. that he's doing, rather than yeah. him enjoying the game, because when he was talking about it, he was like, I realised when I was playing it in this hotel room, I don't even enjoy this, uh, I'm not even liking what's going on here, I don't like this game, went back to Minecraft and was like, oh, th- this is really soothing, yeah, instead yeah. of feeling anxious and whatever, uh, and I think like when you notice wee things like that, you should take a step back, yeah. and it just came up there, I was thinking, he changed his setting where he was playing his game and he was like, this isn't the same for me. Aye. So there must be something addictive about and what he's doing. And that's the thing, doing, I, mean, you know? it's, I mean, good on him for being able to identify that. I don't I think, think it's always lucky, easy. You know? that's yeah. it. I don't think it's always the easiest thing to mm-hmm. do. Um, and I think that's where, again, I mean, my oldest um, daughter's only nearly, she's nearly three, um, so she's only kind of messing about with Sonic Mania and bashing the buttons and that kind of yeah. stuff. She's already better than me. Um, but It's always the way, man. I know, I know. It's only a kind of glimpse into the future. I've got an army of like, nieces, uh, nephews and my daughter and like, <laughs> I've just spent most of the last 10 years getting horsed after them at everything. Do you still get button bashing? Like, can you still win at games I, by just she randomly she smashing buttons? I, she was just sitting hammering the control and I was worried she's got to break it. But as long as she was playing computer games I suppose I've passed the torch but um, no I think that I think that again for, for parents it's, in, it's interesting because I think that before the pandemic for a lot of parents um, just having spoken to, to parents over the course of Checkpoint and, and what I do it's kind of video games still seen as the unknown still seen as a child's play still feeding into the tabloid headings and stuff mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm. um, but then during the during lockdown where they were forced to be indoors and see their kids a lot of parents credit to them were taking half an hour of day to play Fortnite to, or sit with them, yeah. you know, whilst their kids would allow and, and see, like any game you're playing online, there, there are weirdos on the internet, so you do need to be mindful of that. Mm. But really encouraging them, really understanding what it is, 
but as we then move back to normal, it would mm-hmm. be a key for parents to keep that an eye on kids because they're maybe less aware of the stuff you're saying about, you know, again, your man does sound like he got lucky, but um, as adults, it might be easy to identify that, you know, you're not going to work, for example. Yeah, um, absolutely. If it's a school holiday. I mean, I've, just, get, I've uh, got a, a friend and, um, and they've got a son and he's 18 or 19 now. And, you know, he's not very good at much outside the playstation mm-hmm. and he just wants to play playstation constantly and i think that maybe even for developing brains mm-hmm. there might be you know like we're saying you get this sort of gratification and that's how our reward system's made like you do good things and it comes back and you should develop habits based on these good things but sadly i think for a lot of young men if the world outside isn't really accepting who they are or whatever, it's very hard to go and get a job and yeah. it's, it's getting worse and worse why would, you know, like, if that's the place where you're getting that sort Aye. of gratification, then there, there might be a danger in, in setting limits and stuff. Yeah. Like, like you're saying, that these these technology addictions, like social media, porn, gaming, like, they're all very new. We don't yeah. know what's, we don't really know what's going on with them. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like you said, it's, they aren't inherently bad. I yeah. don't know if there is much that we do consume that is no. just bad, like, nothing but bad. There's always... A sort of good and a bad side but i think you're right like if hopefully the pandemic if parents have been sitting down with kids and then realize oh wait a minute this is actually great yeah but also i need to be aware of how much that they're, they're, yeah. they're just disconnecting I mean, you know but in terms of my experience growing up with gaming i remember having the commodore 64 the you know the, the nintendo the playstations and stuff usually like a year after everybody else got them to be fair <laughs> but um you know we all we had them through the years and like i remember my dad kind of like hovering about in the background mm. being a bit like so what's this then and what do you do with that and you'd be like you want to go no and my, yeah. my dad was older um when we were growing up by comparison to some other parents and that mm. but he always had that kind of like why what's that what you're doing here and you know quite like conscientious about what we're doing um we've obviously you know been the same way alex but throughout the pandemic i've actually found that we've spent time in like so we've got like half a dozen different minecraft worlds that Aye. you know we build mountaintop mansions we back caves and then move on to the next world and all sorts of so it's been a great opportunity to actually like spend time yeah. gaming together mm-hmm. like side by side on the split screen particularly when it comes to minecraft i think the other one was um fall guys which is just basically Aye. like wipeout kind of like you know the tv uh-huh. show total it's kind of like a gaming version of that uh-huh, yeah. and they're like great fun we shot games that you know cater to a, you know short attention span a lot of the time um but at the same time are really fun really relaxing and quite inclusive it's so definitely a generational thing i definitely find myself now being more like do you want to sit down and uh-huh. we'll have a go in this or we'll have a go in that because i'm conscious of like that generational thing before as well my dad's popping heads around doors and being like pure what's this and almost kind of like treating it with a level of suspicion in some respects yeah. whereas i'm like no let's just sit down and play and i think that's uh, it's, it's, it's become a good common ground for yeah, us in that respect a, that's a generational thing because my dad just didn't like getting beat like 20 nothing at fifa you know he did try <laughs> and sat down and he's like what the fuck is this thing and i'd be like it's all right we'll turn it on you'll get yeah, it he's just like i don't get it but Aye. our generation seem to be like the first sort of generation of dads that game with their kids and yeah. like the average age is like 35 now or something right. like gamers, and that would reflect the fact that you've maybe been playing through the 90s and whatever absolutely mm-hmm. i think i mean it's it kind of frustrates as somebody who plays a lot of video games and is a an advocate whatever you want to call it if you thought i mean just for what we've spoken about um so far as examples i mean if you were to sit and watch films all day at the expense of something else that would be you know a yes. bad idea nobody's saying that you should sit and play minecraft from eight in the morning to eight no. at night if you do you know th- there are issues you might need to address maybe you don't maybe you're still managing time for anything else it's not mm-hmm. it's, it's very idiosyncratic but in terms of that and i completely get that you know the kind of older generations looking over your shoulder a wee bit unsure and it's that idea of the unknown again in pre-pandemic um 2018 uh, I think the film industry was worth $41 billion, give or take, it's like £30 billion, right, in, in 2018, when box office, yep. before there was any compromise there, and in the same year, the video games industry was worth $162 million, so £130 million or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not about money, but if you're looking at these industries and thinking, you know, what do they contribute, what do they make, how important are they, how, you know, what, what's their stature kind of thing, mm-hmm. 
if you're basing it on money, because it's, you know, like it's not all about money for me, but if they always hear about, oh, this film grossed this, this film grossed that, or this book sold this many copies yeah. or whatever, they, a lot of things are judged on you know, how much they're consumed by the public. Video games are, you know, head and shoulders above them all. Yeah. So how can it be the unknown if it's making all this money, if Absolutely. people are playing all these games? And um, granted, I know that video games cost more um, to buy, but. Um, you can you know, obviously talk about replayability and everything. You can watch a film once before you need to pay for it again in the cinema. Um, but it's, I just think a lot of people don't know these things. Uh, I think that that's a little frustrating um, when I don't think it takes too much for people to learn. But that's when it's great to be in a position where um, to be able to do things like Checkpoint for myself. Like I, I consider myself really fortunate to be able to write a book, to be able to write about two things which I'm, I'm passionate about, mental health through my own experience, mm-hmm. um, video games through, you know, as, as a real passion, and then merging the two to talk about how they help me in the sense of how they might help you or yourself or whatever, Absolutely. or someone else. Um, and also, again, people can identify video games as something we hear about all the time. Um, and we maybe we're, we're getting much better, like I said earlier, about talking about mental health, but to be able to talk about something, or oh, video games, right, cool, I know about that, mental health, I hadn't really thought there was too much a link mm-hmm. there, but here's here's how it's happened. Uh-huh. It's quite interesting as well, one of the, the points that you made earlier on was that you were playing games that addressed issues like yeah, suicide and, and mental health, and I was instantly taken back to Final Fantasy VII, mm-hmm. right? So this was one of my, the first games I played on a PlayStation 1 a million years ago. I subsequently played it again in recent years, yep. and I've in the last sort of six months bought the the remastered update and when i was playing the older version again in recent years it dawned on me for the first time that the entire story is about a guy recovering from ptsd so there's all this fantasy and magic and you know all this you know the stuff that comes along with it and monsters and demons and whatever else but essentially the story is of a veteran who returns home for war and at various points suffers from like flashbacks yep. and and i was like jesus christ like final fantasy 7 is a mental health story and i was oh. like that's a level to it that maybe i can only appreciate as an adult that i, I couldn't maybe appreciate as a teenager sort of yeah. thing but there are other games out there i think the um what's the one that's the Two mirrors, two mirrors or something. Yeah. Okay. Mirrors Edge or something. Mirrors Edge. Mirrors yeah. Edge. Yeah. Um, and there's other games out there that actually the entire narrative is based on, you know, the people's yeah, yeah. mental state. So, what what games was it that you were playing that introduced you to that? I, I mean, it's interesting because if I've played Final Fantasy VII countless times as well. Yeah. And you talk about I, the kind of going through a PTSD identity crisis and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, when I was specifically about the games which made me. Um, kind of start to consider mental health and gaming is I've always felt that video games are informative as a as a medium because um unlike cinema or books um, or more traditional media, video games are interactive obviously. It's a kind of three dimensional thing. Um and you can read a book or you can watch a film or you can watch a documentary, which you know is an invaluable way to, to consume knowledge and information. But with a game you put you in it, you know, you pick up a control pad and it's you. You mm-hmm. don't say um, Mario died, you say I died. If you leave that control pad down, you turn it on and you leave it, nothing's happening until you put yourself into it. So mm-hmm. I always think that it's one of the things which I speak about in Checkpoint in terms of for consuming information. You can either relate to the character, which in the games, which I'll speak about in a wee second, um, in which case you then maybe start to understand your own self a bit better. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you can't, but you can appreciate this character's story a bit more. Maybe it's Cloud in Final Fantasy VII. Yep. Um, so the first game which um, I kind of started playing, it was an independent developer called um, Matt Gilgenbach was Never Ending Nightmares, which is a game about um, his own OCD. Um, and a lot of people, when they think about OCD, and I certainly I did for a number of years when I was younger, it's people that need, you know, say with this desk, but all the water's kind of lined up. And he's kind of arguing that it's not necessarily all, but that his OCD uh, manifested um, with kind of, imagery of him of of himself kind of self-harming and stuff like that and it's really quite graphic and all these games are qualified to start with the right disclaimers and stuff yeah and again whenever i'm speaking about this i'm not a mental health professional i have lived experience with suicide yeah. um, and i like video games and i like writing um if anyone's struggling with any of these kind of things you should definitely go um and, and, and seek professional help Aye. another game um is actual sunlight which is a game about a character called evan winters and he's a kind of 
95 every man um, in Canada and he really struggles with the kind of modernities of just day-to-day life so this one was really good because I think that um, even though we spoke about the struggles which Cloud has in Final Fantasy he is you know he's a soldier he's a you know Okay, it's quite good graphics at the time. He's a muscly, yeah. muscly guy with a big, huge sword. Um, you've maybe got Lara Croft. You've got Nathan Drake for the Uncharted series. Solid Snake for Metal Gear Solid. Yep. You've got all these typical hero figures who are muscular, good looking. You know, they save the world kind of thing. Yep. Whereas in actual sunlight, um, the character is just this kind of mid thirties guy that's losing his hair, kind of something like myself, and um, it's just a normal guy, and he's struggling with all this kind of. You know, he, he's struggling with lasting the full day and work with it feeling like shit. Or he's struggling, you know, he, his mate texts him and says, do you want to go for a drink on Saturday? And he says, aye. And then he gets to Saturday and he comes up with an excuse not to go. Mm. And at the time when I was going through um, this kind of process of suffering for depression, anxiety, without really knowing what was happening, I was playing this game and thinking, oh, Jesus Christ, this is this is exactly, or well, not exactly, but this is really yeah. reflective of what I'm doing. Um, so actual sunlight, um, the... Never Ending Nightmares. There's a game called Little Red Lie by the same developers as Actual Sunlight, which considers um, somebody with depression and it shows you the perspective of a sister living with someone with depression, which I think is quite interesting as well yeah. because um, throughout my own journey, um, my kind of long-suffering girlfriend has had to put up with me. And I think that um, one thing about people with depression, and I speak from experience, is um, there's not enough of a conversation about how selfish you can be um, because people don't really want to admit that yeah. uh, because you're feeling like shit and that's you know absolutely valid but it's so easy to be consumed by how you're feeling and mm-hmm. not really thinking about how your behaviour might be Impact affecting others. others eye. Um, so that little red lie is really interesting um, in that front as well because it shows the side of you know someone else watching someone with depression mm-hmm. uh, and you know my girlfriend Jenny's been absolutely brilliant with me but there are times when I'm sure I've been really doing on that because it's you're not meaning it <laughs> to be fair but it's um it's a difficult one um but the indie spectrum is brilliant when I, mean, I play a lot of games on on PC Steam it's full of kind of wee gems gems there's a, a horror game called Layers of Fear um by a game developer called Bluebird Team who today have just announced a collaboration with konami um right. and they do a lot of horror games a lot of rumors whether or not they'll take on silent hill again which would be brilliant to love silent hill and um, but they, their first game called layers of fear was about this artist who goes out to um this kind of a this big sprawling house out in the woods kind of thing horror film kind of you know cliche yeah. fodder but instead of all these bad things happening, bad things are happening, but he is starting to kind of lose his sense of reality. And it feels like approaching mental health and horror, and normally it's just a bit jump scares and the fact that we should be terrified of poor mental health. This is a bit more nuanced. It's a bit more putting you inside the, the kind of the character's head. Mm-hmm. Um, so it tends to be, away from away from mainstream games, it tends to be more like an indie games, which I have yeah. found most um kind of, I don't know, stuff I can relate with and, and, and comfort in mental health. I wrote an article for The Guardian a couple of years ago about Grand Theft Auto V mental health, which I thought was really interesting. Over the last few years, I've started playing a bit more in the role-play scene, where you go in and you, so you've got GTA on its own, um, where you, it's just like a crime simulator, where you, you come out of these nefarious acts, as most people will be familiar with. And then the role-play scene in PC is a kind of different spectrum altogether where you're encouraged to use the Los Santos map and treat it a bit more like reality so yep. you get a job you buy a car daft things like you stop at red I lights I watched a video the other week there on YouTube of a guy who was running for mayor aye, aye there you go <laughs> aye. It, 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 it sounds tedious right it sounds boring it sounds like if you want to play GTA I think Lemmy's said I got a good crack at it as well which is oh, he's obviously quite funny when he does it but um GTA is known for, you know, the kind of overblown violence and mm-hmm. drugs and everything else. And that's great fun. It's not, it's um, you know, anyone who, who chooses that over the role play scene is absolutely fine. But similar to what you're saying about Minecraft or Animal Crossing or, or your man that swapped Call of Duty to go back to Minecraft, like playing this game, this lovely kind of sprawling map and doing it a bit more mm. like real life is quite soothing as well. Um, and I inadvertently just completely randomly discovered this group of um, players who use Grand Theft Auto as a kind of self-help-ish group. And as I say, I wrote about this for The Guardian. It was people that would just wander about, you know, no, no cars or anything, just walk and use their mics and just chat about So there's like virtual lives. walking talks? Basically, aye, and using Mount Chiliad, which is the big mountain, could go on a hike and just chatting about this. Last I had um, a mother who was an alcoholic, somebody else, his uncle was an alcoholic and he'd been knocked down and killed outside the pub one day. And I spoke to them and I said, you know, as long as I can anonymise your names, could, could I write about these experiences kind of thing? And I thought that was really valuable because here's a game which 
is known for all these really bad Aye. things. I mean, it, it, to be fair, it wears them all and it wears it all on its sleeve. Um, but people have got these assumptions with Grand Theft Auto, and then here was this really wholesome thing which exists in the same yeah. the same world. Um, so it depends. I mean, does, does you, across, I've, I've tended to find myself that the indie games have been more helpful at addressing the themes mm-hmm. head on. Because um, ultimately, it's a bit of a gamble for the big studios to do a game solely about depression. Because you know they're there, there to make the kind of the mega millions. But um, I don't know. It's, it's it's good to see that you can find these pockets in games like Grand Theft Auto. This was something well. that I touched on in the sort of short episode we did recently. Um, because I have discovered a uh, Daisy mm-hmm. right now. I'm, I'm not playing it at the moment. I, I probably will at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just engrossed. And again, it's this open world survivalist yeah. sort of zombie apocalypse type thing. Um, but on the the servers for the you know the online side of it, it's there's just this myriad of stuff going on that is so out with that yeah. sort of zombie apocalypse genre that. It just kind of like drew me in, so um, a lot of guys spend times building like really elaborate bases. Mm-hmm. There's other guys who focus their energy on uh, helping other players as they, you know, spawn in and stuff like that. Um, there was one guy that was running a taxi service mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. cities. This is like an, you know, a, a fictional sort of Eastern European country that has multiple sort of villages and towns and he was running taxi services and um, there was another guy who was running he was he was a drug dealer um you know growing weed to then sell it to buy supplies <laughs> within a game uh, within the <laughs> game right. um aye, so there's like a real like senses of like multiple communities yeah uh, it's really similar to the daisy one I, I don't really play daisy but i did know it got a strong role play community and it's the mm-hmm. same with this grand theft auto in Aye. terms of taxi services um you can become a tailor and make clays for yep. the, like the mafia and the gang and things like that yep. and it's just Even, it's bizarre uh, like red dead online yeah. um there's like the have essentially like biker gangs, but because it's in Red Dead Redemption, it's horses. Horse bikes, yeah. So they've got like, you know, squads of like 30, 40, 50 guys, and they have like initiations, like a biker gang. They have, yeah. you know, all these things, and like you can hire them. You can, if you want to go, this guy's or this group out here of messed with me, you can go and hire these dudes, and they will go and like <laughs> fuck this other gang uh-huh. up for you. <laughs> That's um, cool. There was one, two guys in Daisy who you could call them in and they would build your base for you. So like one guy just phoned in the builders. This pure just weird stuff that is not what I would readily associate Aye. with that particular game or that particular genre. But I love how people have taken these ideas and Aye. started to make them their own, like as you yeah. say with these role plays. And I really enjoy like watching these narratives because these communities, these people are in and out regularly and they're, they're in characters in a lot of senses. So, yeah. but I think they must get some really good for that as well. That when, like you were saying with Call of Duty, like when they log in, there's 30 mates in their biker gang or there's 10 mates in their base or whatever it is. And they're working together towards common goals. And I think that in itself is like the type of thing that we talk about doing in real life to make ourselves feel better, you know, like service and, uh, you know, all these other things. Mm-hmm. I think, um, like, if you're just living a mundane life and, and you're looking forward to going home and kicking about with your mates in a game, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Like, as long yeah. as you've got something to look forward to, you know, yeah, and, and finding some sort of joy. Yeah. Like, and if you get that through a game, why should it be any less valid than if you go and walking a Sunday up a hill, you know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. Like, just dive into a book to, you know, you spend, I was reading a book to uh, go abs- to this other place which transports absolutely. you to... Um, it's a, that that's the stigmas around video games. I mean, they're maybe not as bad as they've been. But like gaming just seems to be. Again, we spoke about the numbers earlier. It's mm-hmm. massive now. Um, it still frustrates that it, it persists more than anything. Um, a lot of the time, it is in my opinion, to sell newspapers or to get yeah. clicks on websites. We're starting to see a, a, um, a change though. But I think there's there's like a, there's BAFTAs for gaming and stuff yeah, like that. There yeah, is starting yeah. to become very mainstream recognition of, of the art form in yeah, that yeah. sense. When you're getting the, the, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra doing like the Tomb Raider suite, you know, where it's all the, all the music from Tomb Raider yeah. only, it's through the strings and Skyrim and things like that as well. And cool, it's it's kind of like, branching into the arts, for want of a better term, um, right. beyond gaming, mm-hmm. um, which is good to see. So it's kind of so. educational for people because if they like that, then exactly. they might seek it out and start listening to like classical music if they've been into a game. Um, do you know about, uh, I just looked it up on, on browser, uh, Eliza. You ever heard about Eliza? Eliza. So sure. Eliza was like um, basically a, 
uh, I'm not going to bring it up here, <laughs> sort of almost tease you there. <laughs> it was a, a, a computer program that was developed in the 70s and, and it was like basically the world's first yes, computerized yeah, yeah, therapist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it did nothing but repeat back to you what you said, but you know, just paraphrased. It was aye. programmed to paraphrase. Oh, right, aye, aye. They did this test where you know, like within a university, probably been Stanford, they seem mm -hmm. to be doing all, the, did all the experimental stuff. And when they took it away, people were like, oh no, I want, I want it back. They really right. get a lot of benefit through just being able to talk to a computer program. And right. I suppose like, do you see gaming actually being something like that where you could maybe even log on and speak to some sort of like digital therapist? Or I think, I mean, I mean, the, the with the technology and the way that it's going, I mean, it, it's. I think this this the sky's the limit for want of a better term. Like I said, that that example I gave about Grand Theft Auto and people logging in, I I got the sense that they knew each other from the game, but not necessarily knew each other in person. And that's mm. kind of like that in terms of yeah. this anonymous. Okay, it's a, a very kind of crude example in terms of the time of just a, a digital interface repeating the words back to you. Yeah. Um, but. Meeting up with random players um, doesn't need to necessarily be your mates, and if you feel more comfortable um, sharing whatever's going on in your head, I mean, that's, I know you hear this, it's good to talk and you should try and talk if you can. It's it's become a cliche for all the right reasons. It is certainly through my own experience, being able to chat about the stuff in my head helped me. The first conversation with my girlfriend helped me immensely, and then being able to keep that going. If that's with a computer program, if it's with um, random people online, it doesn't really matter as long as you make that first step. Um, there's a game called Eve Online, which you've heard of that, a kind of yep. MMO space game where people live. Um, excuse me, it's kind of the whole game is based around the role play. Um, there's like a whole economy that exists there. There's a, mm. a, not a lot of trading. Um, people meet up at the conventions and get married and stuff like that. And there's a, a group of players there called Broadcast for Reps. And I spoke to them um, within Checkpoint. And basically, there to kind of summarise their story, there was a player called John Bellicos who sadly took his own life and he was a really prolific player. Um, and his mother got involved because she saw like the good that the game brought him and, and she wanted to firstly let the community know but now she's really involved and she, she goes to Iceland, um, CCP are developers based there, they've got a thing they do in Las Vegas every year, these kind of conventions yep. and she goes and she talks to the players and tries to raise a bit of mental health awareness and this group broadcast for reps now exists in the game uh, and they're not qualified therapists but they're just there for a kind of, you know, an ear to bend or a shoulder to lean on and it's basically in the game they're like an in-game therapist and they're very right. upfront about the fact that they don't have many you know, um, qualifications but if you want to just speak to somebody and it's kind of similar to what you're saying peer it's like, peer. yeah so that that computer program if it's only repeating the words back has no you know it's not any built-in knowledge mm -hmm. but, but also exactly i think what was really effective about it was is that it had no built-in ego yeah well exactly because exactly. one of the big things yeah, is, is that yeah. you know as much as therapists are, are trained in that you know they're humans and, and yeah. they've got their own ideas and how you should live your subjective, life yeah and it was very much like what people liked about this was is that it had no opinion yeah exactly it could have no opinion it was yeah. basically a teletext yeah. thing that, <laughs> that you typed into and it would be like well i'm not feeling great today and it would be like okay well why are you not feeling great today nah. and you'd be like well i had an argument with my wife last night well, tell yeah. me about that argument it yeah. just basically asked you a question based on what you said yeah, very yeah. formal formulaic but people get so much benefit that they asked for it back yeah. when it took away because it was an experiment and there's something to that and i think, I think like, it's, it's really interesting i mean there's all there's always that Weary side of it, we might go full iRobot and mm -hmm. take over the world or something. Yeah, yeah. Where's the information going? Exactly, exactly. That was last week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I mean, even in the, the virtual reality um, <coughs> side of things as well, it's kind of flattered to this even last 10 years. I mean, the advent of Oculus and stuff in the last decade, yeah. we thought we were getting what we were promised in the 90s, and it's good. There's maybe not enough of it there. The tech's maybe a little bit more expensive, although it is getting cheaper now. Um, but again, in, in Checkpoint, I spoke to a guy called uh, Skip Rizzo, who's over in the um, UCLA, uh, I forget the name of the specific department off the top of my head, but mm -hmm. basically they've been working with um, virtual reality technology since the 90s with um, people that have suffered from PTSD, yep. predominantly soldiers, um, but also like sexual PTSD and mm -hmm. other, other kind of forms that it presents, but they've been using virtual reality uh, to 
take we'll use the soldiers example take soldiers back to the moment where they're maybe driving down a street in full of or whatever um, and they recreate a roadside bomb and this is about says, safely recreating yeah, the moment of trauma space, yeah. yeah but it's really interesting he was saying that not not just about the the kind of sights and sounds so they've got you know, the big headphones on they've got the, the headset on as well he said but smells he said so if there was like a big pile of rubbish on the side of the road they would feed that into the room yeah, so dimension can, exactly I mm-hmm. um, it sounds a bit like a kind of Disney ride or whatever you know obviously it's very serious but it, it sounds like entertainment more than it does. But they, you know, he's they've been taking that technology and really growing it. Um, so for the, the kind of um, the you know the kind of helping people tangibly and physically, not just about playing a game and sharing experiences yep. or relating, to be able to actually use it as therapy, I think it's really uh, interesting as well. I think the virtual reality thing as well is also becoming. Um, quite prominent in how they like is it the training surgeons and stuff yeah, like that yeah, where yeah. you know in the past we would be relying on people who had maybe donated their body to science on their death and stuff like that whereas now there's, there's the actual virtual reality that they can use in a lot of senses to train or to at least practice Aye. Um, and very you know keyhole surgery and these types of things so the, the technology is you know expanding in scope in a, in a sort of big way you've seen even like i mean the, the, thomas cook i think it was or, or one of the one of the the travel agents i think they had one in glasgow certainly in london where say you wanted to go to new york and they've got they had a booth in the back where you could put on a headset and walk down fifth avenue mm-hmm. and look about and see what you think of it before you you sign up try, be, kinda, try before you buy exactly you I, um, do you like this but, hotel room like, I, <laughs> <laughs> then you go there and it's like damp and stuff and that's like this <laughs> the but i mean i think that Okay, that's kind of moving away from game, and it's more specifically virtual reality. Mm-hmm. But um, I, the scope for it is just, and you see it with festivals as well. I think it was Coachella a few years ago; they had the virtual Two-pack. experience. Ah, exactly. Well, yeah, the whole the holographic mm-hmm. stuff. But even I was more thinking the. They let you wander about the campsite with the, the virtual reality before right. you went, kind of thing. And uh-huh. if you couldn't make it, you could do it for the house, and you could watch and stuff. Uh-huh. And I think the um, like the scope is just. Uh, uh, just uh, BT, so you've got the thing on where you can. Put the VR headset on and sit and watch the game as if you're in the stadium. Aye, which yeah. is also the, quite cool. the last year, I mean, that would have been brilliant. Oh, in one of the Marvel movies fans. where Tony Stark's like revisiting his last interaction with his dad, and he talks about how this virtual reality that he's developed sort of cured his depression. And Aye, it's very sort of similar to the. Th- yeah, I think yeah. this is where we're going with really, yeah, like yeah. especially the PTSD stuff. I mean, I've read a bit about that myself, and it must be incredibly powerful for people to be able to go back and revisit mm-hmm. these moments as much as people might think that that's counter. Yeah. yeah. Um, really, the way out of these things is exposure because yeah. it's an anxiety that comes from an experience and exposing yourself to that experience is what you kind of need to do to recover from it. Yeah, Running exactly. away from it is the problem. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like, that. I think that's amazing that yeah. they're using this technology to really sort of think about how can we try and help people and... Um, what, what about, did you meet much stigma when you were writing the book? Did you meet many people that were kind of anti-gaming? and Not too much. Um, I think more kind of general scepticism from predominantly parents, actually. That's why I kind of make a point whenever I'm doing these things to mention the pandemic and how, you know, credit to a lot of parents who have taken that time to understand. Because I don't think it's like, I don't think it needs much. I think it's just to sit down, like you mentioned, split screen and stuff like that, just to understand. In the same way you wouldn't want your kids to be, reading i don't know like you know books that had i don't know damaging i'm not i'm not having the main mind cam for anything Ah, exactly you know what i mean like exactly um i didn't face too much stigma in writing the book um itself that the hardest part for me was probably um like i've always found a bit of catharsis about writing about games of mental health and sharing my own experience and again i'm i find myself and i i I think it's a, a a really fortunate position where I'm able to. A lot of people don't have the means or, or aren't confident enough to, 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 to pick up something and write something. Um, so I'm really, I think that's really, it's really, I'm really fortunate for that. But there's a difference between writing a 1500 word article for PC Gamer or, or for The Guardian or something there is in writing a book. Yeah. Um, so the level of catharsis, I expected to go in and just get this all in the page. And I found that kind of pouring over, particularly the kind of narrative elements where I'm putting me in it, to be quite difficult. So it was probably harder in a personal sense than it was about a kind of broader um stigma um 
I spoke to a lot of people who are very passionate about what they do, uh, and you guys will find this in terms of what you're doing. The mic it's one of the best things about being able to interview people is yep. that speaking to people who are passionate makes you passionate, even if you don't know that much about it. Definitely. Um, and that was that was brilliant. Um, and in terms of the feedback which I've had, there's a kind of modest print release in terms of being an independent publisher and stuff like that. But I'm delighted with the feedback from the, the books managed to end up um, with some charities and some people that, yeah. that could um, potentially really need it or relate to it whatever if somebody reads it and they don't agree with it then that's obviously completely fine if they i would rather that at least they've given it a shot and if you that's the thing about stigmas as well i mean if you believe that about video games and i'm not here to i'd like to try and change people's minds but i'm not here to preach you know that this this genuinely happened to me i found solace in this um you might not use video games that way at all you might uh, if you read the book, at least you have tried to educate, or if you did any any literature that's out there, whatever, at least you've tried. And if you still feel that point of view, then that's you know that's your prerogative. Of course. As well, so. so one thing I want to touch on, and I'm not sure, and I, I know obviously in the the book you speak to a lot of people in the industry. And I know there was a spectrum from, as you say, the independent gamers, mm-hmm. uh, the in, independent game companies to more sort of mainstream high end guys. Um, one of the things that has has come up in relation to the industry and mental health is the pressure that sort of game creators themselves are under. Is that yeah. something that you had experienced when you were speaking to people in the industry? Because, you know, I think it sounds daft to relate it to this, but I've been watching a uh, Mythic Quest mm-hmm. in recent I've months. I've not got into it yet, but oh, it's brilliant. your man face. I fell off all of a sudden, but I, the, yeah. the show's excellent. And it's yeah. a sitcom basically set in um, a game developer's mm-hmm. office sort yeah. of thing um, and it has you know, the testers the creatives and you know the voice actors and they, how they all kind of just are dysfunctional and, yeah. and nonsensical but one of the things that comes up time and time again in that and I've read about elsewhere is the pressure that sort of game creators are under to meet deadlines because it is such mm-hmm. a you know big industry there's so much money to be made that when they release titles and we've seen the, the downside that we like cyberpunk yeah. this year where the game went too early and yeah. you know this game that people had anticipated for years pretty much fell over on itself kind of overnight um so like what kind of how are people managing their mental health when they're creating games yeah that? i mean it's a this, this, you could write a thesis on, on, on uh, crunch um and in, in the video game industry so i crunch when uh cyberpunk's a really good example in terms of um a contemporaneous example getting to a point where you know you've said you're going to release the game at this point you've maybe delayed it and it needs to be finished um and you've got game developers in pulling ridiculous shifts i do spend a bit of time talking about crunch in the book um it's a lot of video game companies now are trying to position themselves saying you know we don't we don't condone crunch we don't um they're trying to come up with all sorts of initiatives where it doesn't happen um there are quite a lot of reports on the specialist press side of things that suggest that it still is happening yeah uh, the i don't i mean in, in terms of people who are making games ultimately it's still work and i think that i saw this a little bit um on the media side when i used to write in video games people say oh it's brilliant you must just sit about playing video games all day <laughs> and when i worked uh, full-time at pc gamer i was predominantly in charge of the uk side of news and you're trying to get five six seven news stories out a day in your 95 you're not playing any games you know you yeah, maybe pick yeah. up a game if they've spoken about a very specific bug um which has happened in a new game so you'll fire up the game to see if you can replicate it just so you can talk about it with a, of bit, of, a bit of knowledge or um Maybe you're talking about, you know, maybe it's a more of a, a kind of colourful piece and it's about a specific game mod and you want to go on and make sure that it works and do whatever. Um, but the rest of the time you're writing, even when you're reviewing a game, you know, you maybe um, have a... You, you get review copy on a Monday, uh, the the embargo lifts on the Thursday and the game lasts 30 hours. You need to try and fit in work and also play in that game and also write in a, you know, a thousand word yeah. review, which mm-hmm. is one form of crunch. Um, so when people see behind the velvet rope, you know, they kind of see that it's maybe not all just sitting down and playing games all day. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, there are worse jobs as I used to be a plumber. My job is literally shit at times, having my hand up to here and, and choke toilets. Um, I love writing about computer games. I love writing about football as well. Um, but it's still a job and it's still, mm. you know, you're still you're still getting paid to do it. Um, you know, and you need to think about the the kind of welfare um and mental health of workers. When it comes to video games, there's so much money involved in that. Now I've never developed a video game, but Cyberpunk is is the best example. Um first teased in 
whatever it was, 2013 or something like Years that. And, and, uh, but I, they're, under, they're under immense pressure to... And also, I feel for the developers as well, because they've, yeah. they've, I mean, if it's been hyped since 2013, whatever it was in the, in the early 2010s, they've poured blood, sweat and tears into it, and then it releases at a state which they're not happy with, and the world um, goes mental. <laughs> and criticisms, for the most part, were, were fair. It was a, it, the, the game was launched in a, in a state which it shouldn't have been launched. I feel sorry for them. Yeah. Naturally, you've got the vitriol which falls into it, which is incondonable. Um, you know, people on social media are, are a bit unhinged at times, unfortunately. But <laughs> ah, just um, about yeah. <laughs> people are just unhinged yeah. at times, yeah. unfortunately. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Not just in social media, but see, we we start to see we're starting to see changes, like real changes coming in the way, like um, the distribution of like sort of money on the internet um, and. I think that I don't know. I might be wrong in this, but it kind of feels that in gaming, that there's a lot of money for the gamer. I'm not mm-hmm. talking about like for the developers. Obviously, yeah. there's 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 a whole like billion pound economy around that. But for the gamer, it seems to be that it's like you get you can either make tons of money, you know, being the top ten in the world at COD, and you're a millionaire and whatever. And then there's you know millions, if not billions, of people underneath that that you know just play the games and. Yeah. The what I'm referring to is things like um I don't know if you've seen like Andrew Yang, the guy that ran for president in America against Trump and yeah. he's got a whole thing about the data dividend mm-hmm. where your activity on Facebook creates some money for Facebook mm-hmm. and really you should have access to some of that money because yeah. it's you yeah. and your advertising yeah. and your eyes. And do you think that's something that we might see in gaming? I know that in COD like you can play to earn COD points, yeah, which yeah. you can then spend on guns and within the game. But do you ever see it moving towards people making low-level money off of stuff like, like, say, you play COD for, like, fucking 30 hours and they go, yeah. well, we'll give you, like, 50 quid for that, like, because... It'd be interesting, I think, I mean, it would really set a precedent if one developer did it. Do you know, like, say, say Activision do it with COD, then you maybe see that, I don't know, Rockstar feel obliged to do something similar in GTA. It's... What interests me, I mean, I couldn't definitively say I or not to that that particular question, but just how gaming is changing. So games as a service, for example, didn't mean they existed 10 years ago, but they weren't really a thing, whereas now um, they really are. Fortnite has really you know, made that massive across the board, across all age ranges. Um, cosmetics, loot boxes have obviously been hugely controversial in the yeah. last uh-huh. five, six, seven years maybe, um, where you're seeing legislation being brought in you're seeing governments censoring parts of specific yep. games and again loot boxes are i still feel and again i don't work full time in, in the video games industry now i'm only on a freelance basis but um i still feel that there's a level of confusion about the murkier areas of loot boxes whether it is gambling whether it should be illegal whether kids yeah. should have access to it naturally if there's money involved you know as a parent now i think that no kids shouldn't have access to it um but again to remove them entirely, is that fair on the players who, you know, shark cards in GTA, for example, don't necessarily give you an, a competitive edge, but they give you access to a better car, so you can maybe zip about a yep. bit quicker. Um, as somebody who plays GTA Online um, <coughs> avidly, there are games, I mean, Fortnite's probably the, the biggest example, but GTA Online has got so, so much cosmetic stuff, which doesn't really change the game too much. You know, you've got outfits, you've yeah. got guns, which can give you an advantage. Um, you've got cars, but it's like a, I don't know, how would you put it? It's like a a virtual shop window in the sense that they released the um, they released the Avenger, is it called, in-game? I've drawn a blank. It's basically the Batmobile in-game. They've called it something else to avoid trademark law, <laughs> copyright. But you could be walking down uh, the equivalent of Sunset Boulevard in Los Santos, the pseudo-interpretation LA, and the Batmobile zips by you and you think, fuck's sake, I want that. Yep. You know, and there are a few games, there are, there are a few games out there which which do that in a real-world setting. So Los Santos does look like LA in certain parts, you know. Yeah. Or you could see, um, you know, an oppressor flying, flying motorbikes, which have got the missiles attached to it, and they're the bane of every player when you're running on foot trying to find a car and they're getting missiles shunned down on you. But, you know, <laughs> when you can see it and you think, that's what I want, um, can I afford that by grinding in-game? Well, I could have had a shark card. And that's what it becomes, you know, I understand people's angst towards it. Yeah. Um, I've kind of went off on a mad tangent about whether gamers would get money for doing that i think it's a good idea as somebody plays games obviously mm, yeah. i just don't know that it needs to make sense for the developer uh, and they're making so much money just now off of loot boxes off of 
um, again, using GTA example, shark cards where people are putting money in. Yeah. You know, I think that, to be fair to Grand Theft Auto Online, um, I've got no affiliation with Rockstar. I, I just really enjoy the game. I think <laughs> that the updates which they've provided over the last, when GTA Online launched in PS3 in 2013, 2015 on PC and PS4, and it's still going. And so the free updates, like the After Hours one a couple of years ago, where they brought in DJs and you could run nightclubs. The Kyle Perico was a, a new island which launched in December last year. They're all free if you're already on the base game, yep. mm-hmm. which I think which I think is good. Whether or not people decide to pay money for shark cards is a whole other argument. Um, but they're making so much money by people putting money in. It would be interesting to see if they started to reciprocate. Feels like we're at the other end of the spectrum yeah. where they're making so much money that that's where yeah. they're, they're at. Yeah. I mean, I, I've <clears throat> I get the arguments when it comes to like the loot boxes because that was one of the mm-hmm. other points I wanted to just touch on before we started to sort of wrap up was that this is something that's become massive in yeah. the industry in the last ten years. Um, I always approached it quite innocently. Like I, I, I get that. In most games, most of what you get for them is largely cosmetic, yeah. and that's the bit about it that I don't understand. Because my missus is daft on Call of Duty; she plays with her guys, what the work colleagues and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> and then it used to be as she started to get into that years ago. I think it was like Modern Warfare Three, and she was just hooked. Um, I would occasionally like wages there come in, I'd buy her like Call of Duty points mm-hmm. or whatever, and be like, "There you go. I know you're enjoying this. Like here, there's." whatever you know 20 quids worth of Mm -hmm. college duty points going and i was just assuming that she was getting stuff that would be advantageous in the game sort of thing Uh, and when i realized that it wasn't i was like hold on a minute like what is this it's just like camo and shit and then uh, you know calling cards and and i was like so hold on (laughs) the money that i've spent on this has not in any way shape or form made you better at college duty and she was like no and i was like well why why the fuck does anybody you do this? Like, I get with like FIFA, it's different because yeah. those players will benefit yeah. you. You can convert and sell. Like that's and the roulette, and yeah. it really is that yeah. you buy these FIFA packs and you might get nothing, yeah. uh, but you might get something really incredible. And that's where they're starting to think: is this People gambling? People would defend you know? that would argue that the the like the packs or cards is, is equivocal to football stickers in the playground 20 years ago 30 years yeah. ago you know or if you're if it is just cosmetic and again going back to that's a good point that's yeah, a very good point on the on the yeah. football cards because you were opening that football yeah. card and if you got something yeah. like a good shiny you'd be like yes you know exactly a pile of shit you'd be like and they're not yeah. trying to trade it so exactly. it's very very similar and if you're looking at like using games as escapism i'm not arguing either way like i understand the arguments of both sides mm-hmm. um is it's a controversial topic and i can see Again, I'm now looking at myself as a gamer, as somebody who writes about them and as a parent and all three I've got, you know, they all overlap. Um, But the cosmetic side of things, if we're talking about games, is this space that you want to um, escape to, that you want to do something different if it's role play, that you want to on a Friday night, you know, come in and and put the reward on hold and play Call of Duty. And you're paying for a t-shirt, you know, it it depends how serious you're taking that. You pay for a t-shirt in real life to go to dancing, you pay for a t-shirt to you know, look a wee bit better in game. I know that it can become a bit, you know, obsessive, yeah. but you know, it's it is so it is so murky, it is such a no, great area where I can see the pros and cons. No, um, definitely. I mean, it's, it's probably quite interesting as well that it's been so successful in terms of these loot boxes that games like Fortnite, for example, yeah. are essentially free to download in the first instance. So mm. that's been a big change from my time as a gamer. Is that you know the the game is almost handed to you yeah. so that you then literally spend money rather than Aye. sort of charging like you for the game purchases rather than but paying for something it's so front. quick to have spent so say a game costs on average these days 50 quid um you could be charged 50 quid for a game and you know you've paid 50 quid for a game and mm-hmm. it's like cool there's that 50 quid maybe i need to take it easy until payday whatever but if you're getting free are you taking a note of you know a cosmetic at two quid three quid four quid if you went over, oh, Christ, I spent 100 quid now, that game's cost me. Do you know what I mean? And that, that's how they get you, and I understand that's that. It. But even how easy they made it, That's that was the, the thing, wasn't yeah. it? And I, I know people that had kids that ran up three, four, five hundred quid on FIFA yeah. just because their parents' card was registered to their yep. PlayStation, and it was just click. And yeah. I remember somebody telling me that they had actually like confronted their, you know, their way in, as you would, and the, the boy was like, I didn't even realise I was doing it. And when the dad went, and this was, you know, working back years, mm-hmm. when the dad went in and, and looked at it, he was like, it's not clear Aye. that he's spending money. Yeah, and it's not yeah. very clear at all now, where, whereas now it's like, do you really want to do Aye, this, you know? Uh, and and obviously that, yeah. the apps, like the PlayStation app and, and 
parents will get a notification that money's getting spent and all that. They've, they've really worked hard to sort of bring that to a point where people are sort of happy with the balance, I yeah. think. That's it. Balance um, is the key. I think it's the key for everything and everything mm-hmm. we spoke about over the last hour. It's it's with loot boxes, with your time in front of, of games um, and making sure that you're doing your best to strike the balance and those mm-hmm. around you are doing the same as well. You know, Absolutely. So, I mean, that's over the hour, mate, and it's been an interesting conversation. Yeah. But what's next for you? Like, what, you, what have you got planned for yourself um, personally? I don't know. Um, the, Other than writing of... Big Angie's biography <laughs> for Christmas. Um, I, I, in terms of the last year, as I say, Checkpoint was written... Um, Apart from that, we preloaded at the start. The whole thing was written before the pandemic, and the pandemic has changed even over the course of the pandemic. Like we said at the top of the the, the program, the my perception of oh, everybody should play games to be mindful of your habits and continue to enjoy games in a healthy balance. But I, I do keep going back to, and this is also to do with being a parent myself and my kids getting a bit older. Um, is the conversations which I've had through Checkpoint have been about parents still a little bit unsure. And the games which I talk about in Checkpoint, which help me, most of them are 18 plus. You know, they talk about, I spoke about the guy who talks about OCD and self-harm. It's all um, a never-ending nightmares. It's a kind of monochromatic, uh, quite stylish, illustrative kind of style. Um, But it's still quite graphic. um, And if you're not 18, you shouldn't really play it. Um, Again, with all the disclaimers at the start of the game, Actual Sunlight talks about suicide and depression. There's a game called Depression Quest, which I didn't mention before. It's a... Um, a developer called Zoe Quinn. It's a kind of narrative game where it's you've got like a kind of multiple choice of what to do, but it basically rules out the options for you. So, say here, for example, you know, do you want to go for a drink on Friday night? You want to say yeah, but the game doesn't let you. Right. Like you see that it's an option, but it scrolls goes out and supposed to kind of reflect what you're feeling in your head. But all these games are very they're for adults basically, yeah. um, and I think that any MD one who um, is old enough should play them and see what you think. But over the last year. I've had a lot of parents talking about it, so I feel like I've got probably got more to say now about some of the more universal games like, you know, Fortnite, like Minecraft, Sea of Thieves is a big one um, from Rare, the game developer. And I think that there's maybe more to be said. I'm not quite sure how and when or um, exactly what I'd be saying, but I don't know, maybe, maybe. Cool. Um, to kind of focus a bit more on a more universal crowd and kind of mm-hmm. open it up to stories about other people maybe maybe not just specifically about myself right. but yeah, sounds so interesting just, yeah. absolutely welcome back if that comes to fruition Aye, absolutely yeah. Aye, welcome back anytime actually yeah. mate. it's been Aye. nice to talk Aye. to you thank and, you so much for having me thanks very much for coming in mate always a pleasure to chat games and mental health and everything else. Amen. 